I'm aware that Christmas ends up feeling like one of those reminders um, of who our family is and who our family isn't. And for many of you, you've waited a whole year to re-engage with your extended family. And um, that might have been really on purpose and really intentional. Um, you've heard it said that um, you, you can choose your friends, but you can't choose your family. That this, this feels true. And Christmas often becomes more emotional um, sometimes it's a reminder of who our family is and isn't, but um, it's during this time that uh, we, we're, we're kind of reminded and we have to show up to family gatherings, uh, and it can be difficult. And, but the re- reality is, is that our family is part of our story that we just can't shake. And so I'm aware that we come into this season, and sometimes it feels like a weight. In other cases, it doesn't. But when you think of that weird aunt, that, that goofball uncle, or that weird cousin, I just want to suggest to you that um, they might have a picture of you uh, when we start talking about weird aunts and extended family. I mean, it, it kind of works both ways. So I, I'm fully aware of that as I start to tell on myself and tell stories about that, is that family works two ways. Anyway, um, but do you have any family members that you find yourself... Um, well, maybe embarrassed over, or, or feel like when you invite someone new to fa- the, the family gathering that you kind of have to give an explanation. Oh, let me just tell you, just be careful, just watch. It, it, we all kind of have an extended family that raises question marks and um, curiosities when other new faces look into it. Um, I have one story, not about my family, about my wife's family. She told me I couldn't out him tonight, uh, but just to say that his name was Uncle Louie. I was involved with dating Laurel for uh, quite a while, all through college. I'd only heard about Uncle Louie, um, and there was all these, these curious stories. Who's, um, we'll leave it at that. But um, the first time I met Uncle Louie was in the receiving line at our wedding. So uh, we dated for almost five years. Uh, I'd been involved with the family, had different holidays with the family, but finally Uncle Louie made an appearance. And um, it was after the wedding, in the reception, everyone, we're greeting every guest coming in, and this, this man kind of saunters up, and I, I said, hi, I, I'm, I'm, I'm David, I'm, I'm the groom. And he's like, well, I'm Louie. I said, Uncle Louie? You're, you're Uncle Louie? He goes, yeah, I'm, I'm Laurel's uncle, I'm Uncle Louie. I go... Oh, it is so nice to meet you. I, I've heard so much about you. What did they say? <laughs> and, <laughs> oh, yeah, like, uh, I mean, he was as advertised. We, we sat there with this awkward moment. Everything I'd kind of heard just made sense in less than 30 seconds. I'm like, oh, yes, bless his heart. <laughs> then we moved to the Deep South, and um, there was this woman who said, oh, honey, and she said, this is talking to Laurel. Uh, oh, honey, we're not asking if any of your family's crazy. We're asking which ones. And so this might resonate with you uh, this Christmas season because there are always these peculiar figures. We all have a story that often gets defined by, by our family line, by our heritage. And again, this is the time of year that we're reminded of the good and the bad. Now, there are some people I can't wait to be able to see over the Christmas break. There are some people that I look forward to their Christmas cards and getting caught up. Um, but our families can really mark us um, for better or for worse. I want to tell you a little bit about my family life um, because it's really significant, but it's not that grand. In fact, it's a little bit scandalous. 
I have illegitimacy in my background. I have broken relationships before there was divorce uh, was so common. And so it has been a really defining attribute of my life, but I'd like to think that it doesn't define all of who I am. So, for those of you interested, I come from largely Norwegian descent. Many of you know this already, but I have this uncle who's now retired and spends way too much time on Ancestry.com and tracing all of our lineage. He has traced it back to 1438, which actually marks the end of the Viking era, of which I am a descendant of a man by the name of, um, oh, where are we? There we are, Halvard Grottup. And Halvard Grattup was the last of the Viking kings. And in 1438, he led uh, the last battle, and it actually began from that time for the next 400 years, a union under basically Danish reign. And they were one country. They weren't an independent state after that. Well, when you hail from Viking blood, and you know that your heritage is, well, you probably did a lot of raiding and pillaging as part of your family story, that's not too remarkable. In fact, it's a little embarrassing, right? If you start to look back far enough, you probably realize, oh, dang, my great something or another was a slave owner or whatever, or, oh, we probably conquered that nation. And it, and it kind of becomes disparaging, if not despicable. If you fast forward about 400 years, in 1837, my great-grandmother was born by the name of Anne Oker, and she was born in the rural part of Norway in a town called Telemark, or in an in a, in a area called Telemark, which is where we get Telemark skiing from. So we like to consider ourselves like the birthplace of skiing, uh, and it's why the Winter Olympics are so big to Norwegian. Nevertheless, she, and think about this now, she lived until 1948, but when she was a young adult, she actually never wed, but she moved to Oslo because as a farm girl, work was hard to come by, particularly if you were gonna be single. And um, I don't think it was her intent to be single, but when she moved to Oslo and got work as a weaver in a factory, of which I've toured and walked along this, this great walking tour, she was living in an apartment building that we visited. She had a landlord at the time who drove um, a, a, a beverage cart pulled by horses and has a brand called Ring This Beer. And, and he was also the landlord, but he was a widow. And through circumstances, they had a relationship. He, he got her pregnant uh, and she had what became my grandmother, Amanda Oakner Langmo. And, um, but she never wed, so imagine my grandmother, born in 1905, an illegitimate birth, she hung around the apartment long enough to realize that he had no intention of marrying her because she, he had kids that were her age and going, oh, oh, and was so just, just kind of appalled at this. And once she realized that he had no intention to marry her, she moved out. Well, she would work for probably 10 hours, 12 hours a day in this factory as a weaver. The government's only support of this was they kind of funded a little thing called Aunt Louise's um, chicken hen. The, the, the direct translation would be, um, would be the chicken coop. Uh, it, was, it was called the hen house, and the translation would be the chicken coop. And it was basically a, a state-sponsored um, childcare in this, in this rundown shack just outside of the factory that where my grandmother grew up. And although she never married uh, my great-grandmother, um, they just sort of avoided the subject because it was so taboo. 
The reason this becomes so significant, now, before I get there, she eventually grew up, she found Christ, and she met my grandfather, Hokan Langmo. Um, he came to Christ later in life. He was a bouncer at a bar that I visited. He was a big husky guy and he was a card shark and a pool player, um, and, and, and he smoked cigarettes. And, and he, was a, he was kind of a rough guy, but once he came to faith in Christ, he put all of these things behind, and together they created this new life. Well, then the war hit, and um, he was an electrician by trade, um, and they ended up, he came to the San Francisco area by the sponsor of his older brother, who was like 18 years older than he, and they landed in San Francisco six months later, sent for the family, and they created a new life together, not just on a new continent, but in faith together. Seeing God's faithfulness from where they started to going through the war together, through rationing together and creating a new normal. It's a remarkable journey, one that I'm kind of intrigued by, I, I'm always curious to talk to relatives about, but one that resonates with me as a person of faith. And the reason I bring that all up is because tonight I wanna to look at something that seems really insignificant, historically speaking. If you know the Christmas story, particularly out of Matthew's gospel, Matthew chapter one has the genealogy. And if you've ever started reading the gospel of Matthew, Matthew is writing to Jewish people and he's wanting to establish the legitimacy of this prophetic announcement that Jesus is in fact the Messiah. The problem is, is that he starts to trace back with lots of really flawed people from adulterers to murderers, to people who had trust issues, to prostitutes. And all of a sudden, my story starts to feel like Jesus's story. So whatever family drama you come in here with, whatever like checkered family past you have, or whatever life that you feel like is inadequate or like you have chapters that you just like to redo, can I just share with you the good news starting with the genealogy? In fact, the word out of the Greek genealogy means Genesis. It's a, it's a description of new beginnings. So when Jesus starts and Matthew begins writing, he's talking about a new beginning with the birth of Christ. And I couldn't think of a better way to kick off a Christmas kind of season talking about the chance to begin again. You might be here tonight and say, I don't need to begin again. But it's easy for us to somehow carry the weight of our past, the weight of shame, the weight of regret, or maybe some of the embarrassment of, of how we were raised. Whatever the case might be, I'm gonna go through a little bit and unpack this. Now, again, where we've been is the idea of walk a mile in their shoes. Tonight, I wanna walk a mile in his shoes, specifically the person of Christ and what it was like for this announcement to come. Now, you'd like to think that it would be more life-giving than that. And when you start to read the list and you're like, oh, how could this be? But when we walk a mile in Jesus' shoes, we learn their family story might describe you, but it didn't, your family story might describe you, but it doesn't have to define you. And that's supposed to be good news. You could have said amen right there and it would have been really timely. But what we find in Matthew's genealogy is this really dry matter of fact. And if you're like me, you've often just read right past it and said, give me the narrative, but don't give me the, and he came from him and he came from him and his father was this father, because it sounds really uncompelling. But beginning in verse 
1 of chapter 1 of the book of Matthew. I'm not going to go through all 17 verses. I'm just going to pull out a couple of names that might sound familiar and just highlight a bit. But it says a record of the genealogy, which we get the word Genesis from, because we're talking about a new beginning. The genealogy of Jesus, the Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Whoa, you just jumped from Jesus to David to Abraham, which is a few thousand years. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. What do we know about Abraham? Well, we understand that his faith was credited to him as righteousness, which doesn't make him less than an entirely flawed person. I like that Hebrews identifies his faith, not necessarily his obedience, not necessarily his morality as righteous, but his faith. But let's just be honest, when you start to read the Genesis, account, Genesis accounts of Abraham's life, what you discover very quickly is Abraham had trust issues. It was Abraham who lied about his wife saying that he was his sister so he would save his own backside. It was Abraham who, who just sort of um, had these different episodes where he kind of didn't trust God's, the timing of God's promise, so he slept with the teenage maidservant to sort of expedite God's promise of what would be his son. So even though his faith is credited to him righteous, and we get Jesus from that lineage, he's sort of this flawed character. But then he gives birth to Isaac, and Isaac gives birth to Jacob. And what do we know about Jacob other than he was a deceiver. He deceived and stole the inheritance from his brother and lived much of his life as a fugitive. Just think about this story in a couple weeks when you're sitting around in some large family gathering and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm related to all of these jokers. Like if there's some nutball that happens to be like your distant cousin, you're like, God bless him. This is just like Jesus's story. Oh, that's so-and-so. He's been on, you know, he's been in and out of the prison or whatever. You're like, this has to give good news to the rest of us because we can always sort of begin again. Let's read on just a couple more of these verses. Um, down, be, taking up in uh, verse five, Salmon was uh, father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. What do we know about Rahab other than she wanted to save her own hide um, by letting in some spies, but she was essentially a prostitute. And so she hid men in what was pr her proverbial brothel uh, from being detected. But yet, we find her in the lineage of Christ. Boaz was the father of Obed, who was the mother of Ruth. Um, <clears throat> uh, and then, just read a few more. Uh, Obed was the father of Jesse, and Jesse was the father of King David. So what we have is, we have Tamar, who disguised herself as a prostitute. She wasn't, but she disguised herself so that Judah would, um, so she would get an heir from her own father-in-law. Yeah. All of a sudden, we start to lose our PG rating here, and we're like, hey, this is family hour. We kept the kids in the service tonight. Um, but then David seduces Bathsheba, uh, and, and he goes on to have her, her husband put at the front lines, which was essentially a suicide mission, so that David would die. And so he was basically guilty of not only adultery, but murder. And then Ruth was honorable, um, throughout it all, but she descended from Lot's incestuous daughters. Um, and so we have a, a very clear picture. And what I'd like to just highlight out of this is that the Messiah doesn't stumble over any of these scandals. Matthew's genealogy shows that they are part 
of his redemption story. Because we can always begin again. Miss Linda quoted the verse out of Romans 8:28, which says, and we know that all these things work for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his good purpose. See, the genealogy of Jesus sets a trajectory for the gospel, and it ends with a commission that the gospel message, that the good news, that redemption and salvation would be for everyone, for all people, every tribe, every tongue, every nation, every gender, it would be for all people. So God sends his son to the world, not to the righteous, to the world, not to the conservatives or the Democrats, to the world, not for those who have a bleeding heart, to the world. And God actually hears the cry of the oppressed more than any. So no matter where you've been or what you've done, no matter who you come from or how much you think your parents messed you up and Christmas becomes a reminder of how hard it is to re-engage with family, Jesus invites us into this salvation story. Even if you come from a Viking king or an illegitimate mother, a, lady, a farm girl who has kids out of wedlock. So what does it mean for us to walk a mile in Jesus's shoes? Um, I would just draw a couple of simple conclusions. It says, as we walk a mile in Jesus' shoes, we remember where we come from. It's our lineage. You know, you'd think that Jesus coming from royal blood, coming from a king, he'd start out with more privilege, except that he didn't. He started out in squalor. And whether you come from humble beginnings or whether you come from privilege or somewhere in between, whether it be good, bad, hard, easy, the point is we learn that our circumstances are never an end in themselves. We learn that our circumstances and our relationships are never the final word in the story that God is writing. I think that's an important reminder when we enter into this heightened emotional time that we call Christmas. Again, we know that all things work together for those according to God's purposes. Number two, I'd say when we walk a mile in Jesus's shoes, what we're reminded of is how his life began and how our lives can begin again. Maybe the best part of Jesus's story is that he had parents who had this firm devotion. They had this humility. They had this obedience, but they had this character. And when you read about his, his dad on earth, he said that he claimed this wife. He wouldn't, he wouldn't discard her. He wouldn't break off their engagement just because she got pregnant out of nowhere. So we see the devotion. We see the character. We see the integrity of his parents and, and how they... And, and is hardly lacking in privilege. In fact, what you could argue is, even though they had very little means, he was born into wealth. Wealth of love, wealth of devotion, wealth of character. So wherever you find yourself at the end of this year, however you feel like you weigh your net worth, there is a kind of wealth that we can have and demonstrate to our kids. And what I think we get from Jesus's story as we walk in his shoes, he learned a work ethic, he learned an integrity, he learned about his heavenly father, but I think we understand what, what the legacy started with, with his own parents. Uh, number three, I'd say we're reminded of how he lived. 
And if there's one thing that comes to us out of all of this, it's his birth, his leadership, his, ab- his abilities, his death, were a fulfillment of God's plan to restore us. And the genealogy is ultimately a fulfillment that salvation would come. And the last thing I would simply say is when we walk in Jesus' shoes, we can't forget that God still can reshape our story today. I recently saw a post from my cousin Vanessa. And again, I have, uh, this is on my dad's side, I have an extended family that's pretty diverse because I grew up in San Francisco. My uncle is Dutch Indonesian. He had two girls, uh, one of which married a a gentleman from um, Guatemala. Uh, The other married uh, this gringo from California. But they adopted uh, a boy named Jack. And he's probably, I think he's about seven years old now. And, and Jack was born out of a mixed race uh, teenage relationship. And they decided, well, if anyone can handle it, we, we, we could. And so they just brought him in and started loving him as their own. And she recently posted this picture on Facebook. This is Jack sitting on, they're driving to um, school one day and he looks very stoic. Um, the day she, she's described it as that he um, was doing a report called the Changemaker Day Report. And um, he's dressed up as Martin Luther King. So that's why he has a big um, mustache and he's got his coat and tie on. And, um, and she was saying, while he was doing his homework, she asked him the question that was in the report, why did you choose this person? And he said, uh, like, without hesitation, because, Mommy, without him, I might be separated from my family. And Vanessa, my cousin, says, at that, break, at that point, we had to take a break because m- mommy had to go get some tissues, right? And um, what I love about this story is that he's twice adopted, right? He gets adopted and all he knows is the love of parents who want to introduce him to the Heavenly Father's love. All he knows is care, presence, attentiveness, that his needs are going to be met and there's emotional stability in his home. This is his normal. This is all he knows. He doesn't know what he missed out on. He's not dealing with feelings of rejection or abandonment, though he might later. What he knows is the unconditional acceptance of Vanessa and Ian, who just choose to love him simply as their own. And they show him what it means to not only be adopted on earth, but to be adopted by a heavenly father. And that's essentially the the invitation that Jesus gives us, that the new beginning, that the prophetic announcement, that all that fulfillment comes to us in the Christmas story saying, new beginnings are possible and you can experience a kind of adoption into this heavenly family that God has been preparing in advance for you. So however drama-filled your earthly family, however broken it feels, however flawed it feels, however much chaos it feels, you can begin again. And the invitation for salvation, to be adopted into this spiritual family is, is a reminder today as much as it was back then. And my absolute favorite part of the Christmas story isn't simply that Jesus came. It's that he's coming again. The story is still being written. That's good news.
That's the gospel. Let's pray. Father, would you renew our faith in you? And uh, as we process what Christmas should, could, oughta feel like, used to feel like when the family was still together, uh, when the kids were young, when mom, dad were still alive, uh, when grandparents would host, whatever. Lord, we're reminded that Christmas can feel very sentimental. We're reminded that Christmas can feel very nostalgic. We're reminded of who our family is and isn't. We're reminded of, reminded of our current means and maybe our, our, our need. But I want to confess our, our greatest need is simply knowing you. I thank you for your provision, the fulfillment of your son Christ to be adopted into this beautiful heavenly family. And so I pray that there would be an increased knowing of your heavenly uh, father, that you would speak to us in, in the most intimate ways and you would beckon us unto yourself. Uh, so in the midst of this busy season, in the midst of, uh, I pray that you would just give us a heightened awareness of your presence, that we might have a growing awareness of your presence in small and in large ways. Um, and we'll just give you the praise for it in Jesus' name. Amen.